Welcome to the Road Home Podcast with Ethan Nickturn. Join Ethan as he and his guests explore the Buddhist path as it relates to art, culture, activism, politics, Western psychology, and more. If you'd like to support Ethan's podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Ethan. So hi, everybody. This is Ethan Nickturn. Welcome to the Road Home Podcast. Um, I'm really looking forward to some upcoming guests that I'm going to be in conversation with uh, on the podcast. But for today's episode, I'm just going to share some thoughts on my own, which is always an interesting exercise. Uh, I've gotten multiple requests to do this more often, um, which I'm always a little hesitant to do for, for multiple reasons. Uh, one is, as you may or may not know, I, I teach a fair amount of classes. Um, so I get to hear myself speak or what I think about Buddhism or meditation or the mind or the world, um, quite a lot, but that's usually in an interactive space with an audience. Uh, so it's a little weird just talking, uh, with nobody else, uh, in conversation, uh, just kind of hearing myself, uh, speak, but, uh, it seems to be helpful to some of you. So, um, if this isn't the episode that you want to hear, uh, I'm going to have some really cool upcoming guests. There's lots of episodes where I'm in conversation with really, uh, amazing people who are in some ways Buddhist or Buddhish or mindfulness practitioners and applying that work to really interesting work in their way in the world. Uh, so lots of episodes in the archive and lots of upcoming episodes like that. Um, but yeah, this is going to be, um, another episode where a guy is sitting, uh, in his little, uh, office space with his little, uh, microphone and, uh, sharing his thoughts. Um, so, so thanks for participating. Um, and what I wanted to talk about today, I've been thinking about this a lot cause I've been doing this a lot, uh, is Lego. Um, so, uh, that's not actually what I want to talk about. It's just a, uh, metaphor. Uh, I've heard, I don't know if you've heard this, um, and I never knew this growing up that, that the plural of Lego is not Legos. The plural of Lego is just Lego, or you could say Lego bricks. Uh, how I know this is because I've been building a lot of uh, Lego sets with my four and a half going on five-year-old daughter. It's something that's returned me to childhood, uh, something that we can both um, get down with, so to speak, and bond over and also helps her um, you know, with her cognitive uh, development, which she's a she's a really smart, uh, smaller human, uh, and we enjoy Lego a lot. And at the same time, there's a show that we've been watching together, uh, which is the show Lego Masters, which is sort of a friendly uh, teams competition in building Lego, uh, and. Uh, my daughter's a little bit in love with the host of this show. She will literally say to me as a four and a half year old person, I love Will Arnett. 
Uh, you may know the actor Will Arnett from great shows like Arrested Development. Uh, anyway, uh, Will Arnett, if you ever listen to the Road Home podcast, because you're really interested in Buddhism, uh, there's a pre-kindergartner in Brooklyn who I think has a little uh, crush on you, so you could just know that. Um, but Lego is such an interesting thing because it's building uh, something complete, something that looks solid uh, out of many very small parts. And uh, we focus on doing this uh, and uh, we're doing the kind of Lego mostly where you're actually building out a set. So there's an actual kind of design. Uh, it's not to like free form, just get the, the box of uh, little Lego bricks and do your own thing. Although we do that too. We're working on building a set of a tree house uh, right now, uh, little by little, because it's a big, big set. And I've just been fascinated by, refascinated, because I was really into Lego when I was a kid. Um, I use this actually as an analogy, Buddhist analogy for self and non-self uh, in my book, The Road Home, about visiting uh, F.A.O. Schwartz, uh, the famed toy store here in Manhattan. Well, I'm not in Manhattan, but there in Manhattan, um, where uh, they would have these huge, huge Lego statues uh, and being fascinated that something that looked like a, a singular statue was actually composed of all these little parts, right? These little moments of placement, these little actions, uh, these little kind of micro solid things that were still objects, but were a lot more uh, manageable and pliable when you broke the completeness of something down into its little parts. Um, and I'm using that as an analogy today, uh, if you'll bear with me, because people are feeling really overwhelmed right now. I don't know if you're one of those people, um, but people are feeling really overwhelmed by the ongoing pandemic, uh, which it seems like in a lot of places, the, the numbers have dropped quite significantly of this Omicron uh, variant. I'm pretty sure that's the correct pronunciation. <clears throat> As I'm uh, recording this podcast, just saw a notification before I started recording that uh, there's a thought that uh, Russia invading Ukraine is imminent and that all Americans should leave. So yet another war possible. And, um, yeah, just, um, just such an awful era of, um, pain and, um, stuckness, individualism, uh, really, you know, from, a uh, from a modern standpoint, you know, we're, we're dealing with these deep interlocking, um, samsaric or painful systems of, uh, white supremacy of patriarchy from a Buddhist standpoint. I think we can say that the, the kind of, uh, darkness of our current world is this just feeling of individualism, this feeling of just powerful people being stuck in their own ego for lack of a more nuanced expression and maybe a misused expression in spiritual circles. 
and privileged people being stuck in their own ego, you know, making lots of decisions uh, without the view of compassion for others or aiding others in mind. Um, and then people are just going through their own um, mental health issues, their own trauma, their own um, sort of facing the impact of definitely the last couple of years, but um, longer than that. And, uh, and if you're in the Northern Hemisphere listening to this, it's winter time. And so sometimes I, when I'm working with uh, my students or uh, talking to somebody, I say, do you remember like 2015 in February, like before Trump was on the scene? Well, he was, if you're in New York, he was on the scene then. Um, but uh, before he became the person in the White House, however that happened, um, definitely before the pandemic, just just 2015. Remember when we all used to just get depressed because it was winter? because it was February. So <clears throat> things often feel very insurmountable. And that reminds me of this kind of um, image of a wall, a kind of sheer brick wall uh, that we just feel stuck behind. And it feels very um, general, the darkness. It feels very ominous. It doesn't feel very specific. If somebody asks sometimes, like, what are you feeling bad about? Um, a lot of times when I feel that way, I don't even know. I can't even name the specific experience. And this points me to um, one of the ways that Buddhist thought, classic Buddhist thought, uh, points out our confusion. There's many different ways it points out our confusion and uh unlike some other classic systems, actually uh, gives us tools to, to work with our confusion. But there was a, a classic philosophical system in Buddhism. And this philosophical system was called the Sautrantika school. And these different philosophical systems, uh, they weren't exactly schools of Buddhism. They weren't like practice schools where you meditated a certain way or did rituals a certain way. Um, they were kind of the existential thought structures that made the view or the backbone of Buddhist schools. And they each tried to point to understandings of what is really true, which is sometimes called ultimate truth or what is true no matter what, um, what is relatively true or what is true in, in context uh, from a certain vantage point, what is true and um, what is false, right? What is completely false? And this is interesting because I think we're all part of what makes this era so dangerous that many people are talking about is there seems to be a breakdown of what is true, right? What is just even agreed upon? You can, you can do your own research, you know? Um, you can just listen to whoever you want to listen to right? You, you don't have to listen to experts. You can make up your own expertise because you Googled something. Uh, and so we're living in kind of a post-truth era. So it's nice to have some kind of philosophical map or modeling for 
trying to figure out what is true, ultimately speaking, what's true in certain contexts, which is relative truth, and what is a completely false or delusional belief. So this Sautrantika school had an interesting way of defining delusion and ultimate truth. Um, and basically what they said, kind of very starkly, is anytime we generalize, uh, anytime we generalize our experience or generalize a label about experience, um, we're engaging in false or delusional truth. Generalizations never hold. So, for example, I have a, a coffee mug here um, that I'm sipping water out of, and you can't see the coffee mug. But the whole concept of coffee mug, which we all live by, which is this general uh, cognitive concept that we use to try to recognize a pattern so we can move through the world, um, what they would say is that this concept doesn't really exist. There's no such thing as a generalizable coffee mug. Um, it just, it literally is just a mental construct. Now, what they said does exist, ultimately speaking, is specific phenomena. So if you were here sipping out of uh, the coffee mug that I'm sipping out of, which would be weird because uh, we don't really know each other. Um, if you were here sipping out of uh, my coffee mug, that coffee mug would become a useful, specific, direct, present moment object of your experience, and it would become functional. And in becoming functional in the present moment and having a specificity, that's how something becomes real and true from this classic Buddhist uh, philosophical perspective, right? So coffee mug as a concept doesn't exist but this particular coffee mug that can perform the function and actually bring about uh, some action that leads to well-being definitely does exist. That's, that's the way they broke down delusional reality from true reality. Now, all of this is to say that we all overgeneralize a lot. You know, we look at our experience almost like this brick wall of Lego, especially in hard times, and we can't actually see it in its specificity. So, you know, we end up saying things like all, all Netflix shows are boring right now, right? Or all Netflix shows are boring or, you know, this whole group of people is trash. Um, or the pandemic is going to go on forever, right? Or everything sucks, right? And there's, there's these kind of moments of overwhelm where we resign ourselves to a generalization uh, in an attempt to really feel safe in the world, right? And when we feel overwhelmed, the generalization is always negative and it's always permanent. And it's like being in front of a, you know, being trapped in a brick wall of Lego, you know, where you can't actually see the the seams in the brick. You can't see the specificity and therefore there's no pliancy. There's no ability to work with the present moment experience. And I've noticed myself getting uh, trapped in this thought process. Um, you know, sometimes on a personal level when it comes to questions of relationship, 
when it comes to the questions of like uh, the work that I'm doing or want to do when it feels when something feels stagnated or I feel misunderstood or or I feel really stuck in a habitual pattern or the person I'm dealing with seems really stuck in a habitual pattern or a, a kind of a line of communication feels like it just goes in these loops of resistance and miscommunication. Uh, I know that feeling of kind of insurmountable generality of we're fucked. Pardon my French. Um, uh, we're screwed. Um, we're not going to make it. And then when you look to the larger picture in the world, um, you know, I have some questions about whether or not we're going to make it. Um, the climate crisis being the most acute, like, are we actually going to adjust and find a sustainable mode of human society um, before it's too late? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. I know that I have a daughter, so I have to, um, I can't give up on that one ever. I look at the country that I live in, um, which feels very much like it is under a slow moving but speeding up attack by uh, individualistic white supremacist authoritarian movement. Um, and it, it feels that feels kind of insurmountable structurally um, engaging in politics right now, which I am still going to try to engage in as much as I can in the midterm. But sometimes it feels like kind of playing a cheater's game by a cheater's rules. Um, you know, looking at what the U S Supreme court, uh, is doing right now and realize, and the anger and kind of futility that arises, especially when, um, I remind people that, uh, the six conservative justices, I don't know. A lot of people don't seem to know this, but the six conservative justices on the Supreme court, um, Five of them were appointed by presidents who lost the popular vote. Um, and they're making really huge decisions about the future of America and um, people's rights and the direction we go in and how freedom works, et cetera. And um, that feels like kind of losing to cheaters and there's nothing you can do about it, uh, that stat. And so sometimes they're like, maybe this whole thing is going to fall apart. You know, maybe the pandemic is going to go on forever. Right. And you see, you can see yourself, especially when I'm uh, spend a lot of time on like social media. Uh, you see yourself going into and just absorbing the energy of these negative generalizations, these non-specific statements, you know. And then even when you go to try to <clears throat> find solutions or find <clears throat> modes of agency to change things, you find yourself making really vague statements too, like all leaders are, you know, power hungry, even though not all leaders are the same as anything, right? Congress should do something as if Congress was one thing. It's not. It's very much a very wide array of uh, individual building blocks, right? Um, you get mad at your family and say, we, you know, this family is, I can't deal with this family, but a family is a group of pieces, specific pieces. It's a dynamic, 
right? So um, again and again, we notice this mindset of overgeneralization, which again, this view of Buddhism says overgeneralization is a construct. And it's specifically a construct that leads to a feeling of paralysis, right? It, it leads us to sit, to view the world as like this insurmountable brick wall. And I've noticed that when you start to break it down into its specificity, I think I don't have any real, <clears throat> I've read some studies about how the mind grows negative or how the mind feels stuck in depressive tendencies in terms of the thought patterns that often, that often lead us to um, feeling completely stuck uh, and paralyzed. And I think it's three things. I think if you wake up in the morning, you read one piece of bad news about the world, where the world feels stuck in a downward spiral, you have one kind of stuck pattern of relationship um, a miscommunication with your partner or member of your family or a friend doesn't get back to you or you know your um, somebody you're trying to get a job from doesn't get back to you and you have one uh, way that you feel stuck you just resist your meditation practice or you meant to you know work out or do yoga and you just couldn't bring yourself to do it, couldn't get there. Three things go wrong. <clears throat> and I think in our imprecise mind, if you have three things go wrong, that usually adds up to everything sucks right now. And then we really have a culture of um, sort of co-marinating or co-regulating you could say, uh, each other's negativity. And this especially exists on um, social media, you know, uh, this feeling of like, everything sucks, nobody's doing anything about it, and then you go on and you talk to other people who say, yeah, everything does suck, nobody's doing anything about it. And there's a lot of sucky individual things. Nobody is arguing that point. Um, if you start to break it down, and that's the important thing about mindfulness. It's like the crucial thing about mindfulness is we have to counter the mind's tendency to overgeneralize moments and to see that when moments are overgeneralized, it activates um, a lot of stuck responses. It activates fear. It activates aggression. It activates the parts of ourself that go into kind of a defensive paralysis mode. And the only way out of through mindfulness is not to say, sort of take a toxic positivity approach, which is what Instagram is often all about. Um, it's not to say things like, don't worry, you know. If you change your attitude, everything's going to be great or the universe has your back. I mean, maybe the universe has your back. I I believe the universe has reality's back. Um, I'm not sure the universe particularly cares specifically about you or me. I don't, uh, it's It cares about uh, experience for sure. 
But what mindfulness is saying instead is you can break down what seems like a solid, insurmountable brick wall into its individual bricks. And once you do that, the perspective starts to shift. It doesn't shift by saying that a moment that's, that is painful is somehow not painful. It doesn't shift by saying, don't be scared about the climate crisis, because that's not reality. If fear is arising, that's what we're working with. The way it shifts is by saying, right now, fear is arising about the climate crisis. And then says, okay, can I actually be with that mindfully? And is there something I can do? Right. And then you start to look for what to do. And the sense of this general, overly generalized, insurmountable negativity comes back in. And the act of mindfulness is to say, just do one thing. Just work brick, literally brick by brick, right? Literally break the huge Lego tree house of samsara, of this confused glob of human society in the year 2022. Break it down into individual actions. Um, and if you've read my book, The Road Home, you know, kind of the framework that I live by more than any other is to think about our practice, whatever your spiritual practice is, whatever your uh, meditative practice is. If you're listening to this and you're just dabbling, if you're formally a Buddhist, if you're kind of informally a Buddhist person because you have slightly hipster proclivities and you don't like to over-identify, that's totally cool. But to view whatever your practice of awakening and transformation is, is happening on three levels simultaneously. It's about personal transformation. It's about interpersonal practice in our relationships, our wide array of relationships. And it's about social or collective transformation. And at one time or another, we might be working more on one of those three levels, but my advice is every day of our life, we can think about little Lego bricks on each of those levels that we can work with. So yes, your meditation practice, if you do it, and I hope you do, uh, and if you haven't in a while, I hope you have very little guilt um, and shame about that because, I mean, do you know how many people on earth wish they meditated today and are mad at themselves about it? Um, you're, it's not a, it's not a small group. You're not alone. You're not the worst meditator ever because you've been struggling to do it, but that is a great action. That is taking one Lego brick and saying, well, what can I do? I can sit for five minutes and I know the mentality that arises is even that feels insurmountable because the mindsets that start to come in are like, well, I heard you have to sit for at least 20 minutes. Five minutes is like fake meditation, right? So it's all or nothing, right? This little brick, if I move this little brick into place, it's not going to build anything. That's not the way reality works from the Buddhist perspective. Any little action has an influence, um, shifts the interdependent reality that we live in. If you even can like bow to your meditation cushion or yoga mat because you're too busy or too upset to practice, that's even a different action than not doing it at all. So what can I do on the personal level? You know, um, 
self-care. What a problematized term, but I'm a, I'm a big fan of self-care. The, the problem isn't that it's indulgent. The problem is that most ways we think about self-care are actually avoiding ourselves. But if you can find a simple way to practice being present that also feels good and soothing and helps you experience your own goodness and awaken nature, do it. Do it every day of the week, you know, even if it feels privileged or whatever. Um, if you feel like you have modes of self-care that are overly privileged, the solution is not to not do them if they actually lead to self-care. If they lead to indulgence, that's that's a different thing. But if you're doing something that leads to self-care and it feels like this is an act of privilege, the solution is to create the means for somebody who's not privileged to engage in similar acts of self-care. It's not to deny everybody, right? So how am I practicing on the personal level? What's one thing I can do? <clears throat> and how can I actually practice doing this precisely at those moments where the brick wall in front of me of the world feels stuck, insurmountable, impossible, nothing's going to ever change, I'm never going to make progress. I'm never going to await. I'm never going to be a Buddha or much less. I'm never going to be a happy, content person. When you feel that mentality coming back in, that's the time to do one thing, one little small thing. Uh, because the mentality of generalized awfulness is tricking us. And it's an, it's 25, at least 2,500 years old. That's when this philosophy of the Sautrantikas start to develop of looking at specific phenomenon versus overly generalized um, false phenomenon, right? So this isn't new. This is an old trick of our brains and our nervous system that leads to inaction, right? Same thing with um, interpersonal. You know, I think about this sometimes. It's really little things like... Is there one kind act that we can do? Is there one little thing? I've been volunteering a little bit the last few years uh, through my friend Shelly Tagelski, who's been on this podcast twice, uh, her mutual aid uh, community, right? So that's, that's kind of a more service-oriented approach to interpersonal. But it could just be like, you know, you may have a neighbor on your block whose name you don't know. Just find out their name. You know, say hello to somebody. It could be as simple as that. It could be calling a friend that you've been putting off calling. Um, I have a few of those. Uh, sor sorry <laughs> to my friends who I've uh, been juggling too much to get back to or to reach out to. Right. So I have to practice. I have to remind myself to practice this stuff daily. Little, little things. Right. And then on the collective level, this is where. I think this is where it gets the strongest view that that because everything is so screwed on a big level, there's no point in doing the little things. You know, I recently, uh, for example, with the um, the Joe Rogan podcast. Um, now, I have absolutely nothing against Joe Rogan personally. I think uh, he has Buddha nature. Uh, I think he has basic goodness, uh, but I also think he's kind of found a niche of um, making a certain type of person angry and uh, and giving them a lot of false information, 
Um, and I don't think this is actually a small point, I have to say. And if some people listening want to disagree with me, that's okay. That's what democracy is. Um, but, uh, you know, vaccine misinformation uh, has caused several hundred thousand deaths of the almost a million people who've died in the uh, COVID pandemic in the United States alone. They're attributing about 300,000 of those uh, to low vaccination rates when you compare that to con countries that have have had access to the vaccine as, as long uh, as the United States who have or shorter than the United States who have higher vaccination rates. So anybody who has that broad an audience and is spreading misinformation that is part of a movement that is that deadly. I mean, we're talking about wartime level casualties here. We're not talking about like a small group of people who made a choice on their own. They were they were told through various means of misinformation to do things that got themselves sick that got other people sick and killed some of them. And when I found out actually, and, and it was um, Neil Young's actions that did this, I didn't even know that Joe Rogan had uh, a, uh, an exclusive $100 million pod, uh, deal with Spotify, uh, but that didn't feel right to me. Um, of course, Joe Rogan should be able to say what he wants as long as it's accurate information with good disclaimers. Um, but I didn't want to participate in a platform that had so much profit related to misinformation and death. And that's my view. So I canceled my personal Spotify membership, $10 a month. That's one tiny thing I could do to shift uh, energy in the world. I'm trying to get my personal podcast down from uh, Spotify. Uh, the good people at Be Here Now are working on that. I'd ask you not to listen to it on Spotify. My guess is if you... Um, typically listen to my podcast, you probably feel somewhat similar about these things. And, um, but that's one small thing. I could not do that. I could not care where that $9.99 a month, $120 a year is going. And, um, you know, the world goes on as it is. The brick wall remains. And maybe I just pulled one tiny, tiny Lego brick out of, you know, a billion brick wall, but that's okay. It, I, it's a practice. I actually paid attention to something and, uh, that was one little thing I could do. Uh, it was easy. It was simple. It was straightforward and it helped me not be so depressed about the situation of sort of, um, this post-truth reality that, uh, our way of um, communicating and miscommunicating uh, seems to be putting us in. Uh, here's another small action on the social level. I don't buy any more books through Amazon. Uh, luckily, independent booksellers are, are doing really well. Uh, I have a few independent bookstores that I like to shop at or order from, and I've been able to do that. It costs a few more dollars, um, but that's okay, too. Uh, books are really important to me, right? So again, you say, well, that's not going to stop the climate crisis. That's not going to end white supremacy. That's not going to get anybody uh, liberated from their own personal confusion. But it is a mindful action that actually allows me to experience this moment of overwhelm and say, what's one thing I can do? 
even though I think that it's quite possible that the U.S. political system and the U.S. media system at this point are so screwed and slanted that um, sometimes I feel democracy may not be salvageable here, I'm still going to get involved in the midterm elections. Uh, I think we all need to do that. Um, is it my duty? Well, it's my practice on the collective level. So, yeah, I'm going to be working on a few of the um, Senate races, Wisconsin, uh, Pennsylvania, Georgia, uh, some very important Senate races there in the 2022 midterms. And uh, I'm going to try to um, help in little ways to and try to support my friends who are doing really cool things culturally and artistically. Um, and then I'm going to forget. And then I'm going to feel overwhelmed by the state of the world, um, by the slow grinding movement of aging. Uh, and, and then I'm going to return to the practice brick by brick, one thing at a time on the personal, the interpersonal and the collective level. Uh, and uh, what else can we do, right? But the beautiful thing is that it's delusional to think we can't do anything. It's literally Buddhist philosophy and other philosophies have been calling the idea that reality is insurmountable and rigid, a delusional way of thinking that we all suffer from because of the way our nervous systems are wired for thousands of years. So anytime we experience that, uh, I would recommend getting off Twitter where that sort of where screwed mentality dominates or uh, going on Twitter only to spread specific action oriented things, including practice uh, that that we can engage in, uh, that we can connect with, that can make us actually feel that we can break down what feels insurmountable into its micro components and move those pieces around and build something new and not something new that's going to be permanent, but something new that's going to be malleable and keep us in this mode of being at play with reality rather than stuck in it. Reality, this is the other way of looking at the present moment rather than it being completely overwhelming. Another way to look at it is the world is very much in play right now. It could go lots of different directions. Systems are breaking down. This, this approach of individualism is reaching its, um, its final um, sort of leg in some ways. It seems like that there's this kind of uh, end game with how far a society can actually go when the the powers that be in that society take a sort of individualist philosophy on everything. Um, and so there is a chance to start creating small little Lego villages of new ways of doing things. Um, and that's going to arise out of a sense of possibility. And that possibility is going to come from breaking things down into moment, uh, moment by moment, uh, actions, right? Moment by moment practices. It's always going to come back to that. And so my last thought is when you feel a thought arising of the form, things really suck, uh, which is a vague statement of negativity. Uh, that's a valid thought. Don't invalidate your own experience. If it feels like things are really painful, like you're really stuck or it's 
really stuck. Um, validate that. Acknowledge that. Um, hold that with compassion. But if you could just add two words at the end of those various thoughts, uh, these two words bring us back to reality, which is things really suck right now. Right now. Just add that whenever you feel that brick wall of insurmountability, no movement, no pieces to be moved around, nothing specific to be done. Just add right now to your assessment. This really feels like a brick wall right now. Um, the world feels really screwed right now. So that we come back to this momentary experience. And that's really important that we are not projecting a specific experience onto a generality. Um, that's really from this standpoint of this particular Buddhist philosophical school. That is why the world feels so screwed. That is where samsara comes from is uh, we generalize specific negative experiences and then project negativity onto everything where there's actually possibility. Um, so anyway, those are some thoughts. Thanks for listening to the Dharma of Lego. Um, Will Arnett, um, uh, Izzy Nickturn has a big crush on you. Uh, I have a small crush on you. Um, I'm not nerdy enough to be on your show. I'm not talented enough with Lego, but, um, uh, th thanks for, uh, giving a father and daughter, uh, something to connect over. And, uh, thanks for, uh, giving, uh, a wayward Buddhist teacher, uh, and student, uh, something to talk, a metaphor to talk about, uh, on a Friday afternoon podcast recording. So we'll be back next time. Um, with uh, one of several guests that I'm, I have a few upcoming guests who I'm really excited about who are writing books. And um, so uh, these episodes come out every two weeks or so. Uh, if you want to check out my uh, website, it's ethannickturn.com. Uh, and I just want to say thank you again to the folks that be here now for hosting the podcast. And thanks to everybody who listens. I've been receiving some really great feedback uh, about the podcast. So really, really appreciate um, all of it. And uh, that's all I have to say for now. So for the Road Home Podcast, this is Ethan Nickturn, and we'll see you next time.